We're going to return to Romans 1, 24 to 32 this morning. And you, like me, as we come there, may be thinking to yourself about Proverbs 30, verses 15 to 16, but for two different reasons. You see, Proverbs 30, 15 and 16 says this, The leech has two daughters, give and give. There are three things that are never satisfied. Four never say enough. The grave, the barren womb, the earth that is not satisfied with water, and the fire never says enough. This will be either our 17th or 19th, I don't recall which, uh, message in Romans chapter 1. And I can imagine as we return to it this morning, some of you are saying, is there never enough? Can we move out of this chapter? You keep going over some of the same things. Enough already. Well, I have intentionally taken us very slowly through this passage. I want to impress it into our minds. I want us to to be very readily able to point our fingers to this is the text that we need to know about because it is critical in informing us of where we are in conflict with our culture and the direction that our culture is going. There's the two important aspects of our faith and our worldview that, that are seen here and seen how who we are as believers and where our culture is going. They're in conflict with each other. Let's be honest, friends. And that's why for some of us, this may be hard. We've been absorbing from our culture all these things that we've come to believe. Yeah, this is true. This is good. This is right. And then we come to the scripture. We go, oh, wait, that's in conflict to what my culture has been telling me. And I am seeking to equip us to know, quite honestly, to know how to withstand the spiritual battle we are encountering every day. You may not know you're in a spiritual battle every day, but you are. And we're going to see some of those battlefields here. First, we are being confronted with atheism. It is something within our world that is getting embraced more and more and more. And secondly, that atheism becomes a gateway to our openness to serious moral decline. This text will show us that. The moral decline, here's what we're going to talk about today. This is really the nub of what I'm trying to get to. The The moral decline premised on atheism will itself never say enough. All right, we've gone into a dark enough place. We've, 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 we've finally arrived where we want to be so that um, we can have this much, this much of our own freedom and immorality. And, and we're content with this. It'll never say that. It will always push for more. And that's because, and it, and it can always justify it, and that's because of, of what the foundation of their moral reasoning is. The foundation of their moral reasoning is, it's what I call virtual morality. I put it in the book years ago. Because if you know what virtual reality is, you get to play a video game where you put on goggles, and it looks like you're in this world where these people attacking you and coming at you with stuff, and you get to go into this room or that room. They look real. You look like you're really in this place. But somebody watching you from the outside, they see somebody with goggles on And they know there's not a room over there and there's not a monster coming at you from here and you don't have to shoot at something over here. You're in your own little world. 
in the own little world of your own creation. That's virtual reality, and it's really fun, to be honest with you. Very, very fun. But virtual morality is a different thing. We get into our own little world, we ignore the truth of God, and then we begin to create our own moral systems around that. Now, here's why those moral systems can just continue to degrade and continue to move on, because there's no foundation to them. And we talked about this weeks ago, so I'm not going to go over it again. But if you live in an atheistic worldview, you have no foundation upon which to solidly say anything is right or wrong. It just is. And that's why whatever reality you do create is a virtual morality. It's just one that did, oh, I decided to say this or think that, whatever. So the moral decline will never end. Man began, as you know, by suppressing the truth. We spent a lot of time there. God's wrath was being poured out against those who suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. And we took, you know, very slowly, we moved through, that as we look at that, we see that he progressed through thanklessness, not glorifying God, and ultimately self-aggrandizement. And that passage prior to what we're in today ends with professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And they abandoned the glory of God and created their own gods with themselves at the center. That was the outcome of that. So that took us through verse 23. And then when we move to verse 24, which is this now our third time in beginning in verse 24 and moving on from there, we saw, first of all, the first week in this we noted three times in this passage the phrase, God gave them over. And when God gave them over to engage in the sin because they didn't want to keep the light of his countenance upon them, they, uh, they celebrated their freedom. They did not repent. In fact, they entered into this downward cycle. They just got worse and worse. Things just get progressively darker. And you'll see that as we're here. The second thing that we did with this is, as we saw those three phrases, God gave them over, and then they ultimately are celebrating it. The second thing is we explained why, because they passed through, first, just general immorality and sexual stuff that we ought not go there, to then same-sex immorality, and it goes from uncleanness to vile passions. And you can just, we just stayed there for a couple of minutes and saw where that was going. And then it burst out well beyond that. So it moved through a progression and went well beyond that. We stopped on that second one last week, and we explained why same-sex encounters are called by God an abomination. And what we pointed out, and if you did not hear it, I encourage you to go back, see it on the website, uh, that it basically comes down to this. Here's the spiritual battle. Same-sex engagements destroy the image of God, the, the purpose for which God created maleness and femaleness. And so that happens there. So that's that we watched it as it moved through that. Now today, I want us to consider where it's going, and why we know it will never be enough. Why we know it will never be enough, and thus the proverb. Because it'll become pretty evident, I hope, that the darkness will never say, okay, I'm satisfied that I've infested enough darkness on enough people that I'll be done now. Not going to happen. So if you will, 
Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, take one in the pew. Chapter 1, verse 24 of Romans. We'll read this, uh, see this yet again. Again, intentional to repeat it this often. So you become more and more familiar with it. Therefore, chapter 1, verse 24 of Romans, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That's their first step off into immorality. For this reason, verse 26, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. So now we've come down to another level. Not just marriage or, or not just immorality outside of how God had planned it, but now an actual, uh, an actual conflict to God's design for maleness and femaleness. And that's where we spent last week. And now we come into verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness now. So it just, it just kind of explodes out. Sexual immorality, which is where it started. Wickedness, covetedness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, dishonest, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. So we can all agree, yeah, that's stuff we don't have trouble with. We all know. We pointed that out last week. We all know that part right in there. It's like, yeah, we don't want to be that. Where our struggle comes in is the stuff before that. We say, well, why is that wrong? And we tried to answer that last week. Now, here's really where we're getting to today, friends. Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are, un are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. We know from this passage the downward progression is never enough because, here's where they go, they agendize their behaviors. They're celebrating it. They're saying, hey, we want this to spread as far as we can. We're going to evangelize people with this great stuff that we have of all these things that are contrary to God. Isn't it interesting that, that Romans 1.32, it says, they know the judgment of God do their behaviors. This very much like earlier in verses 16 into 18 where they said, uh, they suppress the truth of God, who knowing it by the creation, by his crea everything that's around it, they know God is there, even his eternal power in Godhead and God. So, so they're without excuse. They know that. And at the same time, he says, they know that God's judgment is upon the behaviors that they are demonstrating. They know that. And it goes beyond. You understand, by this point, we're well past just the, just the sexual issues. It's this whole other flood of things. We take them all together. And they say, yep, we know God's going to judge this. And they continue in the behaviors. And we're going to just keep going. But it's not only for themselves. They seek to spread the behaviors, right? Knowing such things that those who are deserving of death not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. That's why I say they agendize them. 
They say, we want, it. we want this to go forward. We want this to spread out. We want to gather more people into this kind of thing. So, it never stops. It never do they say enough. Do you recall, I'll give you just the first illustration. Do you recall years ago, and I didn't have time to go looking for the exact quote. Maybe some of you will remember it that when Bill Clinton had a hand in our national politics and the question of, you know, the apparently now constitutional right to abort a baby. But do you remember what he said about it when he signed his part of that little step? He said how they were to be rare. It's to be rare. This isn't to just explode open that, hey, anybody, anywhere, anytime, they're going to go ahead and they can have the abortion that they want. Do you know that? When his wife was running for president, she was running on a platform that said, for the entire term of the pregnancy, you can abort that baby. It's the woman's right to do that. That it already expand just within that couple. And then here, I read this yesterday. Texas has brought this issue back into the news, if you're, if you're paying attention, and they're trying to, they're trying to, Maybe get it somewhere closer to where Bill Clinton got it going. Let me read this. More than 55,000 abortions were performed last year in Texas, which already had some of the nation's strictest abortion laws, including a ban after 20 weeks of pregnancy. Does that sound like rare to you? One state? One state. With rather restrictive laws, 55,000 abortions. My point is it started here as this little thing and it's just exploded into something bigger. That's the heart of man, people. We should not be surprised by that. That is exactly what we are like and that is exactly the spiritual darkness that we are needing to confront and be willing to stand against. Can you imagine if there were, say, uh, well, we have organizations like Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. They were more in the news years ago when it was like 26,000 people a year died from drunken driving across the nation. Here we have 55,000. That was considered a lot, right? Now here we have 55,000 in one state of a restrictive state, relatively restrictive. Do you see that it just went here? And then it just kept going. That's my point. Do you remember when the discussion was about same-sex marriage? Here's what, here's what I recall. There were two issues that they appealed to emotion on. And I, honestly, I, I would have been fine with them had they come up with something that we might call a civil contract. No, it had to be called marriage. It had to be called marriage. And it was over these two issues. Number one, economically, is there was a tax benefit to marriage. And so people who were partnered up for a couple of decades, they never got the tax benefit because they couldn't be married. We could have written a civil contract, that law for a civil contract that allows for that. That, that could have done it, but no, that wasn't going to be good enough. We have to redefine marriage. And the other one was a question of companionship. You recall years ago, the big thing that was going to kill everybody was AIDS. 
And there were people who had been partnered up for years who when their loved one is dying in the hospital, they can't come see him because they're not technically family. Could have written a law. Could have written a law that allows for a civil contract of some sort. Don't call it marriage. And it would have... They could have figured out how to do that. That wasn't going to work. No, it was necessary that we call it marriage. And now, I just noticed yesterday, there were... Uh, my Google feed tells me where, where our culture is at and, and what they're trying to push. And on one scroll down through my Google feed, there was one article about this guy and his husband and another article about this woman and her wife. Because it's being pushed that this is just to be, it's just normal. And so here I came across an article written by a guy that I would highly recommend you read if you ever get a chance. A guy by the name of Mark Alexander, and I can tell you where to find him. He's solid. He is solid. Um, but he's responding to an article, Can Men Get Pregnant? Did we hear that? Can men get pregnant? And the question itself seems kind of crazy, I know. But they've got one person here who is apparently an MD it was medically reviewed by Belinda Riggins, Nodike, whatever her name is, MD. So it must com comport with the science, right? Yeah, remember? Believe the science. I'm going to read you a fair amount of this, and I'm actually a little uncomfortable about reading what I'm going to read. But please understand, I want you to see where, the, where it's going. That's what we're talking about. Where's this all going to go? The assumptions in this article, as with all such articles, are predicated on, this is Mark Alexander writing, are predicated on this supposition that it is possible to be transgendered. That's the supposition. Of course, for those of us who actually follow the science, there are, in fact, only two genders, a male and female, will from conception to death. Regardless of surgical alterations or personal pronouns, they will be that to them. A gender dysphoric individual can call himself or herself whatever he or she wants. But asking society, and here's a critical point that he makes, but asking society to standardize and comport with his or her gender disorientation is as absurd as a question posed by the, health, the reference Healthline article. <laughs> can men get pregnant? It's a crazy question. He goes on to then quote the, one, the person writing it, yes, it's possible for men to become pregnant and give birth to children of their own. In, in fact, it's probably a lot more common than you might think. In order to explain, we'll need to break down some common misconceptions about how we understand the term man. And then Mark throws in this, this comment in between the quotes. Well, obviously, we have to get over the, those pesky misconceptions that cause heartburn for the gender challenge. See, we're the ones with the misconceptions about what man is. Back to the article. Not all people, this is the, this is the writer, not all people who were assigned male at birth identify as men. Those who do not are cisgender men. Conversely, some people who were assigned female at birth identify as men. These folks may be transgender men or transmasculine people. So they have all these things that are out there. You've seen them. I'm as confused by them as you are. Fortunately, the writer Casey links to another of his missives defining cisgender. He notes, 
The term cisgender was coined by transgender activists in the 90s to create a better way to describe people who aren't transgender. So you got these different things going on, right? So, many, back quoting the person writing, many AFAB, that's uh, assigned female at birth people, many, many AFAB folks who identify as men because they choose to identify that way or who don't identify as women have the reproductive organs necessary to carry a child. And then Mark Alexander puts in this little quip, that is because they are women. And that's true. Some people who have a uterus and ovaries are not and not on testosterone and identify as men, they claim they are, or as, or as not as women, again, one of those terms, may wish to become pregnant. Unless you've taken testosterone, the process of pregnancy is similar to that of a cisgender woman. In other words, if you're a female, you can bear a child, he says. But this is what we're being asked to believe. To our knowledge, there has not yet been a case of pregnancy in an AMAB female, that is assigned male at birth, individual. And then he adds, actually, I'm certain there has not yet been a pregnant man. Then he writes, he says, it goes to the concluding statement, with our understanding, and here's what I want you to see, with our understanding constantly evolving, so I'm talking about where is this going to end? With our understanding constantly evolving, it's important to honor the fact that one's gender doesn't determine whether they can become pregnant. Many men have had children of their own, and many more will likely do so in the future. And then Mark Alexander writes this. In this case, that would not be understanding constantly evolving, but devolving. And I thought we just cleared up the fact that no AMAB, uh, assigned man, male at birth, individual, has ever been pregnant. But you see the confusion that they are putting in? Do you see where that is going? And, and we're being asked to believe the science. The science. Right. This last week, I think it might have been the week before, on, on QFM, listening on... Uh, Focus on the family. Here there's a teacher who's been a teacher for 26 years, and trust me, if you heard her, this is the teacher you want teaching your children and your grandchildren. Because she was loving and gracious and kind, and she understood some people really do have some disorientation issues. And she would treat them with love and kindness and, and affirm them as a person without affirming that, yeah, you really need to, to celebrate that. And he just knew this is, this is she's, she's hitting it spot on in terms of how we, we address and deal with the people who really do have a burden to go through life because there's some things that just aren't quite right that are there. So, but here's what she pointed out. When she first got into teaching some 26 years ago, um, I think she said it was, she, the estimate was at that time, there was about one in 22 students who were identified as wrestling with this, you know, this gender dysphoria type of issues. And she said, now it's one in five. One in five. Something's gone crazy here. In that few years, all of a sudden, all this stuff is happening and, and all, the, all these things are changing. 
New York Times article, I just, I'm not going to read that article to you, but a New York Times article, I just want you to hear the, the headline. Gender pronouns are changing. You know what that's about, right? The he, she, the, the, the him, her, and how do we wrestle with this? We were wrestling with this discussion uh, Wednesday night at, um, at Bible study in here, and uh, we were on that topic. Where do you go with this? But the article is, gender pronouns are changing. It's exhilarating. Exhilarating. See, what are we being told? Headline tells us it's a very positive thing that this, what we're doing with all this confusion, it's a positive thing. It's something we ought to be celebrating. Remember, what did it say back here? How did he put it? Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. They have agendized these issues. And by the way, these aren't the only things. You get that? These aren't the only things. So I want to take us back in this whole question now, because uh, we talked about maleness and femaleness, reflecting the image of God. I think there's one other element in the course of this last week. I thought, you know, I think we, we need to cover this other thing too. And it's going to come back to, that, to, to the same issue. And in Genesis chapter 2, I'm going to be, there's two more references that you're very familiar with, but I want to remind us of. So as you're thinking these things through, and as you're confronted by people who may want to call you a hater, or you're wrong, or you need to get along with the times, you may want to have these things kind of at least somewhat working in your mind. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. That's a very important statement because it already sets up for us that what is going to follow is going to be an exalted uh, and exalting um, creative thing that is going to take place. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept. And he took out one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And also I want to jump into, again, a passage that you're familiar with in Genesis 3.20. After the fall, and Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. We've talked about this before, friends. But here, we're, as we read about the creation of the woman, do you understand? That is the ultimate expression, the woman, of God's creative beauty, his creative power. We mentioned this. You know, first, everything is just created the heavens and the earth. Earth was off form and void. And as you watch the creative process go along, God keeps pulling things out of that and all the more refining. And there was water and mountains and plants and pretty soon animals and this. But he saved the creation of the woman as his last pinnacle of created power and beauty to give her that finishing place. It's an exalted position. It's one in which we all ought to recognize 
how significant the woman really is in this creative thing. You see, women, I'm willing to bet, and, and it's because we don't know how to communicate it because this isn't who we are as men and we, don't, we just don't go there, but I'm willing to bet you have no clue as to how much your husband needs you. Remember, he's going to make a, a helper compatible to him. How much your husband needs you to support him to love him on the days when he fails, to recognize on the days that he's done well. You can make or break your husband. Do you know that? You can make or break that man. And you need to understand that, that your words and your presence and your love and your role will help him become who he is going to be or who he didn't become because you didn't recognize or accept the incredible role you have as his wife. It's, it's a powerful thing. See, but our culture, we want to we wanna play that one off, right? Well, no, 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 no. We want the one, they got to they gotta be the head of the home. They got to all be, wait a second. <laughs> Do you realize basically what this says is Adam's helpless without Eve. Absolutely helpless. She becomes the mother of all living things. There is no humanity without her. And we have downplayed that. And we have destroyed that, wanting to go with a secular approach to what male and femaleness means and how we ought to be striving for, the, uh, for some type of whatever. The whatever is never biblical. And so, women, you have an incredible place, an exalted place. But you know what? We're kind of we're blowing right by that. Last week, this time while we were in church last week, Randy Dahl was in the process of running his marathon. And he completed it. So I talked with him later that night, and it was fun to talk with him. And he's describing, because I like to get details, and he's describing going through through, and he, and he was sure, because Robin was there, this is in Nashville, he was sure that she was going to be at this point. And he gets to this point, no Robin. Now he's frustrated. She's supposed to be there. And he said, she's supposed to be supporting me. Why isn't she there? I'm having a hard time. I need her to encourage me so I can get through it. She's not there. And he was really angry at her. And then a little bit later, she's, he comes around a corner and there she is and she's got a sign for him and cheering him on. And he's, oh man. You know, this is what you can do as, as women. And we need you. Just don't expect us to cry and say, oh, you never support me. And you just, no. You know what we'll do? We'll just go silent and, and get quiet. And, but we're not, we're not like that. We're not wired to be that. So you've got to take it by faith that you have a critical role in your husband's life in supporting him and caring for him. You just got, that's just what God has said is your design. And it's absolutely necessary because we can do nothing without you. And I mean that seriously. So why do I bring that out so intently? Because as well in our culture today, there's, a, there's going along with this gender idea, we're going to rename some other things. You know, Adam called her woman because she was taken out of the man. But you know where we're going with the terms of woman and mother right now? We're starting to go to things like 
childbearing person. Do you realize that's in discussion? Those who want to push for that, rather than calling a woman a woman, she's the child bear, a childbearing person. Um, and rather than referring to, uh, to the woman as breastfeeding, she's going to become a chest feeding person because men, they can, they can breastfeed or chest feed, right? That's true, they can do this. But do you see the confusion of the words? What was Adam doing? Adam was naming things. He was naming things and now we gotta get off that name. That name is now taboo. And we're going to have to change that. You don't think there's a spiritual battle going on here, friends? I'm telling you. The kingdom of darkness is in play in this stuff. I had a dear friend of mine tell me recently, when his son was in high school, his son reported, he said, you know what? It's, it feels like the, the kids who are now identifying in some alternate gender things, they're celebrated, they get to say whatever they want in school, they get to say whatever, and everybody's expected to affirm them in this. It's just what you gotta do in the school. And yet, when it came time to meet you at the pole, the Christian kids were given a very limited geographical space in their little circle, and they were watched to make sure they did not, in any fashion, break out of that circle and say anything to anybody else or invite others in, or, but they were constrained. Hmm, isn't that interesting? That was one kid's perception as to what's going on. You've also seen it in the news probably by now, parents who, are, who have had to confront school boards because some of the stuff that's being taught is so horrific. You'd, you'd be embarrassed if I read it. You'd be embarrassed to know what was being said. You said, I don't want you to say, speak that way anymore from, our, from, uh, uh, from the pulpit. And it's in the kids' textbooks, confusing these issues. And so when they begin to speak up, and I don't know every detail in every school system as to what had happened, but when they begin to speak up, now they want to take, what do they want to do? Now they want to say these people are becoming like ter domestic terrorists, so now they can bring the Department of Justice in and start watching them and keeping an eye on them. Parents speaking at school boards. I remember when I was a kid, my parents, because my parents didn't have everything together, my parents were never part of the PTA. I always wished, who are these wonderful parents that are part of the PTA? Who's pushing for a PTA? You try and get together with a school board now, now, now your parent involvement is being questioned. And even the governor uh, who's running for re-election, Terry McAuliffe, said, I don't think parents should be effectively being able to tell schools what they should teach. Really? We should just entrust our precious children to you and whatever it is you're pushing on them and whoever has an agenda for them, we should just leave it to you and we should have no say in what's being said in our, in, 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 taught into our t kids' lives. Do you, really, do you really believe that? We're supposed to pay the taxes to have people teach our kids to hate our country, to hate themselves, to reorient themselves gender-wise. Where's this going, friends? Is it ever enough? Will it ever be enough? That's the question that we're asking today. And here's my final statement. The goal in all of these things is to normalize the confusion. 
whatever's being said right now, that's, that's just normal. We're only talking about what is normal. And you with your old opinions, your old ideas, they all got to go. They all got to go. Because this is the new normal that we are going to force upon you. And you realize, when we all get accustomed to that new normal, it'll get moved again. Why is that? Can I, can I remind you of what the evil one said in his five I wills, which culminated with, I will be like the Most High. That's the spiritual battle. Can I remind you that Ephesians tells us we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places? That's the battle. The evil one is out to confound everything that God has designed into maleness, femaleness, into the name as to who the woman is, that she would become a birthing person. Hello? How ridiculous is that? Let's take that exalted name from her because it speaks too much of the things of God. And he is in the process of trying to establish his dark kingdom as prominent in the earth. And that's why it's never going to end. And that is why you see those who not only do what they know is worthy of judgment, but rejoice in others who do the same. Let's spread this word. Here's what we're going to do. So friends, Hopefully, as we've gone through this now, this particular passage three times, I'm hoping you'll have some things to consider that, all right, I need to think this through. I need to know that this passage is helping inform me as our culture goes craziness. This passage is going to help inform me on some things. And um, if you need to, go back and listen to the messages for the last three weeks now. This is a serious stuff, friends. This is serious stuff that's happening it's happening to our kids. I want to throw out one other thing. I've talked with a, a couple of you, just trying to get a sense as to, do you think this is a good idea? I'm going to throw something out, and we'll have it in the bulletin next week. I didn't have it in the bulletin for this week because I wasn't there yet. But October 24th, two weeks from tonight, we're going to do a couple of things on that night. Normally, on the last Sunday of the month, we have Forward Prayer Initiative. Well, the last Sunday of the month is Halloween this year. And I'm not trying to get all where you're at on Halloween or not. I'm not worried about that. I know last year I was gone on Halloween, and trick-or-treaters came to the door, and Laura was sitting there with a broken hip. And so it was kind of a crazy thing for her, okay? So I don't want to, I, I want to, if they come, I want to be able to greet them and, uh, and, and that kind of thing. So what we're going to do is we're going to back up the Ford Prayer Initiative till 5 o'clock on October 24th, and we'll do it then. We're going to pray for an hour, and then at 6 o'clock, I cannot encourage you enough on this, friends. At 6 o'clock, we're going to watch the first part in a three-part series called Understanding the Culture. And a speaker by the name of William Federer he spoke at a church out in California, and he's a, clearly a solid guy. And you can look at it ahead of time if you want, but I encourage you, please be here for this. Mark your calendar if you can possibly make it. We're going to listen to him, and then we're going to just discuss what we've heard. And uh, you will f I think you will find he has an ability 
a wonderful ability to give us about a 10,000 view perspective as to here's where we were, here's where we are, here's how we got here. And you will find you can understand it. That's what I love about it. And um, he just links, he links the things together. So can I encourage you, if you don't have something else on the plan, this guy is worth coming to listen to. And you know, here's the thing, friends. We can't afford to bring these speakers in. We're too small. We can't afford what it costs to fly somebody in, to put them up in a hotel. We don't have those kinds of funds. But there's other places out there that are making it available now through the wonders of a thing called an internet. And um, if, I'll tell you what, if you knew he was coming here, you'd be inviting your friends. Oh, man, this is going to be great. you got to be here. Well, you can still invite your friends. Because this guy is going to help us understand this. Because what, what have I been talking about the last couple of weeks? About these things in this passage in Romans and how they go contrary to our culture. And this is going to help us understand our culture and, and how to know where to stand with our culture. October 24th, 6 o'clock, it's going to be a great night. Father, thank you. Thank you for the privilege of looking into your word. And Lord, um, we, we live in a context where confusion, things which we understood for decades, for the life of our country, they were just normal. We understood what your word said. They are all being challenged, Lord. They're all asking us to reorient, to change, to uh, get along with the times, Father, to understand things in a new way. But your word does not change. Your word says what it says, Lord. And so I pray that you give us the grace to understand how to navigate these waters. Father, how we can find that sweet spot where we love and care for people who are confused about these issues. We love them. We care for them. We minister the word of God to them and the gospel just as we each need it, Father. But we do not get drawn into the new conclusions that they're making that are contrary to your word, Father. Give us wisdom. We're going to need it so desperately in the days ahead. Thank you that, um, that you care for us. You continue to build us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.